Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You may be seated. So this morning, we are taking a scheduled break from our sermon series in Luke and starting a new secondary series for, this, for the year of 2021, or for the first part of it, about examples of prayer in the Bible. And this is going to be Old and New Testament throughout the first portion of 2021. And when Pastor Mike asked me to preach back in November, I picked this text in Ephesians because it seemed like a fitting text for the start of the year. And I had no idea I would be preaching this sermon right after a week of chaos in our nation's capital. But I am glad that by God's grace, we are in this text this morning. I want to start our study of the text just by acknowledging a few facts about what happened in D.C. My aim is not to be political, but to address what happened with the hope that the text this morning will help put the events in their proper place in reality. So I'm just going to read a short statement here. So on Wednesday, January 6th, a couple days ago, rioters overran the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. with the intent of disturbing the transfer of power from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. The event is troubling for many reasons. One of these reasons is that the riot was encouraged by the divisive words of the President of the United States. The riots further demonstrate the level of division and mistrust in our current society it is also being felt through social media about how to understand and respond to the riots. Perhaps most disturbing of all, however, were pictures of two symbols, one cultural, the other religious, erected at the Capitol. One was of a noose, a symbol of white supremacy, and a shameful reminder of the history of lynching of African-American men in the United States. The second was a cross, which properly symbolizes the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, but for the protesters served as a religious justification for political violence. If this does not disturb you, it should. You should hate it to the level that you love the saving work of Christ. So our text this morning is not about politics. This sermon is not a sermon about politics. Our text this morning is a prayer by Paul in which he asks the Father, to strengthen the church at Ephesus. It is a prayer for church growth. The prayer comes at the end, end of three chapters in the letter of Ephesians in which Paul has exposited or explained how the Ephesians, a Gentile church, fits into God's plan of redemption. 
The prayer is both an, it is an honest and genuine overflow of Paul's joy in God's plan of redemption. It is also an organized and carefully crafted praise to God. It is both theologically astute and spontaneous because God has opened Paul's eyes to see the glory of Christ in and through the Old Testament and has changed Paul to help the Gentile church understand the fullness of Christ's ministry in light of all of Scripture. So what does this text have to do with current events? The reason for Paul's firm confidence for praying for church growth is the same reason we can find proper peace and expectant hope in 2021. Let's pray and jump into our text. Lord, we thank you that as we come, we come focused and concentrated on what you have done about Jesus, who, who made the world, breaking into reality to save our souls. I pray that you would impress on our hearts that these words are your words. Pray that you would make the words of uh, Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, that they would become alive to us this morning. I pray that you would use me as a, as a fitting reflection that I would accurately portray what is being said here so that we might have hope, a confident and firm hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the main point of today's, of today's sermon, I'm going to give, you, give it to you right at the beginning. The main point is this. Because our God is the author and sustainer of all things, Pray with confidence for vital growth in the local church, that it might be formed into the eternal pattern of Christ. So because our God is the author and sustainer, he's the creator of all things, pray earnestly and confidently that the local church would grow, that it might be formed into Christ-likeness. We're going to see this in three points drawn from our text this morning. Um, so here are the three points. Uh, first, Paul prays for the Father to continue to strengthen the new life in the Ephesian church. That's going to be verse 16 and 17 in our text. Second, Paul asks that God would grant the church a glimpse of the limitless or cosmic love of Christ. That's verse 18 and 19. And then point three, which is actually the start of our text, it says, uh, point three is this, Paul prays confidently for growth of the local church. Uh, regardless of the chaos of the nations, because God has proven his sovereign power to produce life through and out of the nations. And that's going to be verse 14 and verse 15. So, first point. Paul prays for the Father to continue to strengthen the new life in the Ephesian church. Um, verse 14 and, uh, or, I'm sorry, verse 16 and verse 17. And it says that according to the riches of his glory... He might grant you, church, at Ephesus, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul asked God would not only strengthen the Ephesian, Ephesian church, um, but to strengthen it with real power. He says, would you not only strengthen it, but you'd strengthen it with power. And the request has two parts. That explain each other. First is that the Holy Spirit would strengthen the inner man, and the second, that Christ would make the heart of believers his dwelling place through faith. Or, as the church lives and has faith in the ministry of Christ. So what is this inner man that needs to be strengthened? 
Um, the inner man and the heart, they're the same thing. Paul's just using two different words to describe it. And it's not the mind that we think out of, and it's not the emotions that we feel inside of us. It's something deeper. The inner man is the part of us from which we desire and choose what is good or bad. It is the center part of us that worships. And it is from our desires that we shift our minds to think about certain things. It, it directs our emotions. Our emotions, we don't control them, but we can sh shift them to try to capture and retain the pleasure we felt from certain objects of worship, uh, even if the object fails to produce that emotion. This can be TV, this can be food, it can be sex, it can be all kinds of things. As embodied and fallen people, sometimes we suffer emotions that we do not choose. Changes in our physical bodies or our surroundings, our landscape, you know, it's winter that can affect our how we feel when it's summer that affects how we feel. And our, our circumstances, right, people around us affect how we feel all the time. Uh, they can change our moods. They can trigger sharp emotion, emotional states that we did not expect. But beneath our emotions is our worshiping self that despite our circumstances try to, tries to bend reality to fit our desires. According to Paul, this part of us is spiritually dead and does not have the ability to choose what it ought to choose. Not only are we individually unable to render God proper worship, but we are secretly united with the whole system of the world to ignore and remain hostile to God's glory. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. If you want to look there real quick with me, it says, it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's an irony in this passage that our souls are weak because of our spiritual blindness. And this is why Paul is praying for strength. Our blindness is an inability to imagine and respond rightly to God's glory. Yet because we are caught up into this system of spiritual blindness, it has a strong hold on us. We have no power to get free of it because we like it according to our flesh. Because every act of our will further entangles us in our allegiance and union against God. Yet... Paul goes on to say that God saves us from this system of spiritual death by his grace. While we were part of the created world that fell, God saves us by making us a new creation. He writes in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. Again, if you want to look there and track with me real quick. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God saved us through his power to create something out of nothing. So when God created the world, he spoke, there was nothing, God spoke, there was something, and he shows uh, that same level of power to create something, new life, a new creation, where before there was nothing. He shows his kindness through Christ's emptying of himself, taking on the same flesh that we, through which we're all entangled in sin. Through his resurrection and the work of the Spirit, we died to the current system of the world by having faith in Christ in his resurrection. And the old creation, uh, the old creation, um, and we are born into a new creation in Christ Jesus. It was made possible through Jesus taking on the payment to buy, out, buy us out of the, the old system or by bearing the penalty for, for sin through his substitutionary atoning death. 
And the Spirit now quickens our hearts so that we can become fully dependent on Christ. Paul writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when we were saved, God took something dead and through the Spirit made it alive and put a stamp on it and said, This is my child. Um, this is alive, and this is my child. Yet, our new life, as miraculous and wonderful as it is, is only the beginning. The Spirit seals us because there's a further inheritance. Paul now, pray, now prays that God would help the church while on earth have a taste of that eternal inheritance and grow into our new nature. Even if our bodies grow weak and we experience pain, our outer man is wasting away, as Paul puts it. Um, Paul prays that God would strengthen our hearts, our inner man, so that until we receive glorified bodies like Christ has, with Christ Jesus, we might have greater fellowship in Christ Jesus now. So living by the new nature requires strength because the vestiges of the old nature still cling to us until we see Jesus face to face. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to deny our old nature, and live according to the new nature in Christ. This process... It's called repentance. It's a continual process of repentance. And as Christians, we need to continually turn from sinful desires and actions and seek to live Christ-like and holy lives. In turn, any good work that we do in faith, I, I feel like this is really important for boldly pursuing good works and not being proud of good works and remaining fully dependent on God. Any good work that we do according to faith only puts us in further debt to God because the work happens because of the strength that he provided through the Spirit. There is no place for pride, and there is only a place for humble thanksgiving. Uh, second point, Paul asked that God would grant the church a glimpse of the limitless or cosmic love of Christ. And I think this part of the prayer is probably the most fun. Um, I'm going to start this section with some pictures and images. Uh, they're not going to be on the screen because they're they're in the text. But Paul gives us some pictures and images, and I think this is the most fun part um, of, the, of the text. And it's also a bit of a riddle. So um, verses 18 and 19, um, or the second half of uh, 17, he prays that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Um, Paul provides us with a paradox that is meant to make us think. It was meant to make the Ephesians ponder and ruminate over Paul's words. The paradox, stated plainly as this, or quandary, how can a person or a group of people know something that surpasses knowledge? If something is beyond our comprehension, doesn't it necessarily mean we cannot understand it? Caught up in this paradox is a strange turn of phrase. Paul prays that the Ephesians would know what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Breadth and length of what, Paul? He doesn't directly tell us. He stops. We want him to say the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. And he goes on to talk about God's love, the love of Christ. But we need to be careful because it is not directly what he says. He says roughly, what is the breadth? and length, and the height, and depth. In addition, how are we to read these dimensions? How are we to think about them, picture them? 
Are we to see them as something fixed with a de definite height and a definite, definite length and width, like a cross, perhaps? Or are these dimensions meant to be expansive? They're expanding so that they grow even further in each direction. Or is this a clever way of saying what I am describing is everywhere and really limitless? He doesn't say it directly what objects these dimensions belong to. So how can we be sure what Paul is referring to? So here's where some of the pictures come in. Um, Paul asked the Father to let the church experience this dimension or dimensionless thing as they are rooted and grounded in love. As the local body in Ephesus is rooted together like a tree with roots that are going down into the rich and inexhaustible soil so that it can grow ever taller and bear fruit. Or, another picture, it is grounded like a building set on an unshakable foundation. The builders commonly mortar and bricks and the building stands against the worst of storms. The picture we see in the analogy is something fixed and stable in one place. That's the force of the images that he gives us. As the church is rooted and fixed, it leads to a vision of something that I think, this would be my, my take on it, is expanding and growing in all directions. As the church comprehends the growth of this cosmic thing growing in all dimensions, they also perceive and understand the infinite love of Christ. The, the love of the word of um, the love of the word of God, Jesus is the word of, that was made flesh, by which God made everything. The word Jesus, um, which is Jesus, is not only the person by whom the Father made the world, but the word is also the eternal pattern by which God designed every good thing in the world. When God created the world, just to explain what, what does an eternal pattern mean, um, the glory of the sun poured out into the world and was reflected as through a million tiny prisms so that all the beauty we see in this world reflects the ultimate beauty of the word, of the word Jesus Christ. So just to, um, we're going to pack this in a bit, but I just want to really clarify, um, as the world reflects you know, the glory of, of God, there's no sense in which it is divine. So we're not pantheists. We don't believe that the world is God. Um, but I just want to be clear that that's not what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying. So even so, the church, so just as the Jesus is, or the word, is the eternal pattern from creation, even so the church grows up into the pattern established by the resurrected Lord. This is why Paul prays that the local church would be filled, this is the end of our text, filled with all the fullness of God. In chapter 4, Paul says that Jesus gives the church teachers, prophets, evangelists, to equip the saints to build up the body. There's that image of a building. Build up the body so that it might attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This measure is the holiness and eternal glory of the resurrected and embodied King, Jesus. The picture, as bizarre as it seems, is of a body in which the head is grown and mature and full of glory and a body that is immature and growing. And so although you do not see the full glory of the body and what it's growing into, from the head, the glory of the head, you see uh, what it will become. And Paul is praying that the body of the church would grow to be proportionally appropriate with the head. But this head, the God-man, Jesus Christ, 
um, is Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God. So what about the paradox? How can someone understand something that surpasses knowledge? I think, I think the answer is twofold. First, the local body grows into the corporate expression of Christ's love. We come to know, by degrees, the eternal dimensions of Christ's love through obedience. That's being rooted and grounded in who Christ is and forming our lives after Christ's likeness and giving up things that are us, ourselves, in order to pursue unity with the church and further fellowship with Christ. Um, secondly, Christians come to see the glory of Christ in the church as it reflects the glory of Christ. To put it in another way, as the community of the church goes about its everyday business of gathering as the body to worship, opening, opening God's word together and having a common understanding of redemptive history, getting together one-on-one -on -one or in small groups to confess sin and to listen and know each other, think here of getting rooted down, and pray and act for the good of our neighbors. As we do these ordinary things, Paul expects, expects, he expects and anticipates that God will strengthen the church with a vision and experience of Jesus' cosmic nature. This is not a mystical experience of God, but it is, a, it is a mysterious one. It goes past our comprehension. We come to see and believe more that behind and underneath everything in the universe is truly, with full confidence, the glory of a personal God who is waiting to pour out vast riches on his saints, riches of life, riches of fellowship. Uh, third, third point. Paul prays confidently for growth of the local church regardless of the chaos of the nations, because God has proven his sovereign power to produce life through and out of the nations. So where do we see a statement about the nations or God's sovereignty in our text? It comes in verse 14 at the very beginning, where Paul addresses the Father specifically as the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth and on earth is named. What Paul means directly is that God gives every people group a name, an ability to have agency and direction throughout the history of the world. Although every people group on earth, by nature, by fallen nature, follows the prince of the power of the air, they are dependent on God's gifts and on God's work beneath and through um, the intentions of the nations in order to prepare for the coming of Christ. So I, f I feel like that what I'm saying is kind of abstract, and um, I want to I want to really show you that it's really rooted in Scripture. So I, what I want you to do is put a finger in Ephesians and turn over to Acts 17. We're going to read Acts 17, starting in verse 24. And I think you'll see, like, okay, I think this is what Paul is Paul is saying, and Josh is not pulling this out of thin air. So Acts chapter 17, the context here is that Paul is standing in the Areopagus and he's debating with philosophers. Um, and he's trying to um, argue that Jesus Christ, although he has come late in history, is really God. He's really the one who made all things. So this is what Paul says in Acts 17. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, and you're going to see a phrase that Paul uses in our text, being Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of angels, the hierarchies of the angels, and of earth, every nation, of the earth over all times, 
does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their, of their dwelling place. And I think this is what Paul means when he talks about God being the father of every family, from whom every family is named in heaven and earth. That they should seek God. Why, why, how is he leading the nations? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. So again, notice how God made every nation. He is the creator and author of all nations. Notice also how God directed by giving them a habitation so they should enjoy God's gifts. Rain, a sun, fellowship, that they might see the reflection of God in his creation and by this witness be prepared for the outpouring of the gospel. So what was the plan, God's plan in directing the nations? Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, in the text that leads up to the portion of Ephesians that leads up to our, our particular text. Um, even while God was directing the nations so that they would seek him, he was preparing the world for the gospel. So Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 8, um, starting in verse 8, if you want to look at that, it says, To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light to everyone the plan that... Uh, to everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Paul is saying. The God who made and established the vast empires of the world and governs all the windings and confusing and often evil movements of world history has, at the center of his eternal plan, the growth of the local church. The establishment of the church in the nations is priority number one. It is for this reason Paul begins his prayer by saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. He's praying out of a confident understanding of the, of the Father, that, that the Father has both the power, he's shown that he has the power, and the desire to fulfill his prayer. Do we pray for growth at Vine Street, our local body, and as we pray, have a biblical sense that God has both the vast power and the desire to use that power for the growth of the church? answer our prayers. If you have a desire to pray for your neighbors, know that God has placed it there by his spirit. He put it there because he has bound the church, the growth of the church, to his own glory. So are you disturbed as you're thinking of praying, as you think about what would distract me in 2001 from giving my attention to thinking about the growth of the church. Are you disturbed by what you see in the world and the nation? What should you do? From our passage, I'm, I'm going to suggest that one of the best commitments you can make in 2021 to work for good is to be continually committed to the local church. Why? 
It is by being an active participant in the local church that we come to gain wisdom. We get rooted into something deeper than the chaos of this world so that we can have peace and wisdom needed to understand the world around us and have the emotional and spiritual resources to respond to it with love and firm understanding of justice, of righteousness. What is righteous because God calls it righteous? We learn to think God's thoughts after him. So I'm going to end with three applications for our, from this text for us. Three applications. It's a lot. So how do I apply it um, this week? One, seek to be active in the local church in 2021. This is difficult because of COVID. It is. Be creative and consistent. Make calls, pray over the phone, over video. We need to get rooted and grounded. Um, and I just want to be clear or just let you know, in 2020, um, in many ways, I've, I failed at doing this. There were so many times I was prompted by the Spirit to call someone and didn't because it was inconvenient. And I'm praying that the Lord would give me strength to get over those inconveniences or the sense of those inconveniences and do that. Two, pray for God to strengthen the hearts of the members at Vine Street. Ask God to give us the Spirit, actively incorporated in your prayer request. Praying for needs is good, but also pray, pray for spiritual strength. And then finally, pray for baptisms and signs of transformed lives in Vine Street in 2021. Clear signs of transformed lives in 2021. I'm not saying that they, aren't, they weren't there in 2020, but what I'm saying is, as a body, that we would see signs in 2021, trusting that God has power and the ability to do it. The God who established and directed the vast empires of the world and desires to see transformed lives has, again, priority number one, to see real vital growth um, in the local church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, I I come to you and I pray that, um, I thank you that you are a mediator, that we have complete confidence because of you to come and pray to the Father. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would use your words in, in, in this text to just give us a vision for 2021, to give us um, strength for the months ahead. I pray that we would grow in love for one another. And I pray that we, as we do so, that you would help us to see and have confidence in our salvation for security that you um, are working. Um, I pray this. Pray this in Jesus' name.